Hello. Oh, hey. Right. We're recording. Got it. We are recording. Welcome to Lang Time Chat. Episode 25. Sure, that sounds right. 26. Sure, that sounds right. 3,800. No, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> okay, so there's a limit. There's okay. a hard limit. Okay. Uh, but yes, welcome to, to an episode of some number mm-hmm. uh, in the 20s. I know it's in the 20s because we passed our two-year mark. Yes. So I feel like this should be 26, actually. Then. Sounds about right. Okay, so yeah. welcome. We have had um, many questions come in. Uh, not many. So mm. many. We've had questions come in about a topic in particular that David knows way more about than I do. And so he's going to be in charge of answering all the tough questions today. Um, if I can think of really good questions to ask, otherwise you're just in charge of disseminating important information. Mm-hmm. But the topic of the day is try consonantal roots. That's not how you pronounce that. No, no. Every time I say consonantal, you're like, that's not how it's That's said. not how it's pronounced either. So I think I should be able to say any way I want. So it's try consonantal. Nental. Nental. Yeah. Try consonantal. Try consonantal. That just sounds like it should be a continent instead of a consonant. Well, that's how it's pronounced. Like, seriously, do you think anybody's saying consonantal? I don't know. I was saying consonantal and you're like, that's wrong. It's not right. And so, <laughs> and so I wonder, you know what? I'm going to pull up my dictionary. Consonantal. Consonantal. Boom. It's in the dictionary as a pronunciation. That's wrong. You can't pronounce it that way. You obviously can. And enough people do that. It's made it into the dictionary. We've been through linguistics. Have you ever heard another human being say consonantal? Yeah, I just did. Oh my God. Another human being. I am multiple people in one. You're absolutely not. If there's anybody who's less of more than one person, it's you. I'm one dimensional. What? No. Wow. That you are singular and unique. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we're going to be talking about consonants and when, what happens when you have three of them in a root. (laughs) And now David is, is gone. Mm. Um, And so David, first and foremost, I want to talk about how not to do this because I happen to remember that McDevy is is one of these languages. Yeah. Um, And so I feel like that's a good place to start, though, because it's like I feel like it's also a place that would be tempting for a lot of people to start if they don't know a lot about how the linguistic features work for for triconsonantal roots. So before getting into my opening tirade, let us first. discuss our qualifications for this since I think that they are remarkably similar. Both of us, and you wouldn't know this from Jesse, but it is true, both of us have studied the Arabic language, have we not? Yes. In a formal classroom setting, Mm -hmm. in a college setting, Mm -hmm. both of us have. Yes. How many semesters did you do? One. Okay, so I have an extra semester as you, but really like the first semester of Arabic is like the biggest, you know, you know, yes semester and two no. just expands on that. Yes and no. 
and and here's the the no part of it Mm -hmm. it depends on your teacher okay and if you're a grad student and if your teacher can speak the language of instruction (laughs) and so i had a very lovely arabic teacher who very very lovely person and wouldn't want to say a bad word about the teacher but i was in germany while i was in germany Mm. And he didn't speak a lick of German okay. or English. Okay. He only spoke French Okay. and multiple dialects of Arabic. Um, and so I don't speak French. Why not? <laughs> I don't. You can get by. And so what would happen is there would be a lot of repetition that was like just based on the Arabic. And then we had a textbook where we'd figure out what we were saying in German, in Arabic. And... And then when he needed to explain points, because it's like, okay, he spoke more than a lick of German, but like, you know, he could find his way around town or order something from a restaurant, but like, Mm -hmm. not like do whole conversations or teach a whole class in German. And so what would happen on like the longer descriptions was he would speak in French and a student in the class who spoke both French and German would translate into German. And I'm pretty sure I missed a lot of information because this was a student who was not say a language student or linguistic student, just someone interested in learning Arabic. And so when you don't know the terms, things get lost. Jeez. Well, whenever I, whenever I took a language class, it was done entirely in the language. Yeah, that doesn't work so well for me. But that's how they do it. No, not in most places. not in Missouri. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, obviously not in Germany either. (laughs) Or at least when, when I was there, the, the languages, the, all the language courses that I've had when there were final, finer grammatical points, they go into the language of instruction and like describe what, what's happening and and find examples so that way you can better understand. Like that's how all my language classes have been. Even the ones that were like 90% was in like Spanish or whatever. It would be like, you know, hmm. certain days they'd be like, well, we need to talk about this to make sure you're understanding the pattern. Wow. Um, see, in, in mine, the only time that they would use English was when explaining the syllabus, uh, explaining when like, you know, the final exam was, or if like class was going to be canceled or something, hmm. something like that um that's the only time they would use english otherwise you know uh that's that's how i learned about uh, uh le ouvert et le fermé <laughs> had a devil of a time figuring out what the heck he was saying also uh he kept uh when he was talking this so this was david peterson by the way my french instructor david peterson because that happened in my life uh, when he was talking about um, nasal vowels, he says like uh, like he would say uh, like gymnastique de et nécessaire, and he would like point to his nose. And for the longest time, I thought like nécessaire made was like some uh, adjective pertaining to the nose, and I was like, oh no, it's just necessary. <laughs> oh, nice. Mm. Okay, so we've sidetracked yeah. a whole lot. We've talked about some language instruction and, and why my Arabic did not stick, except I think the pronoun for I feminine is unt. 
Uh, Enta is uh, would be the you. Um, yes second person singular uh, feminine yeah an enti uh, wait 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 masculine no I'm sorry Enta is would be masculine enti would be feminine feminine That's and right. and then the word for and was something like wa yep because I remember turning to my classmates and being like wa enti because we had to ask questions like and you. And then you had to say where you were from or whatever. And so I remember that, but How also, do you say where you're from? but I don't know. Um, but I also remember that because it's like sounded very similar to I in Chinese in Mandarin. Wah. And so I, I always. But I in Chinese was wah. Wah. It's. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's like wah, wah, ah, wah, wah. You know, I change all my vowels. I the, thought the vowel was pretty important, though. Um, you only got like a hand. I mean, there's so much, there's so little going on phonologically in Chinese. Yeah, I get those vowels. O. It's an, it's spelled with an O in the spelled with a, Okay, but like it's pronounced with a schwa, yeah, right? Well, anyway, <laughs> I was just saying it reminded right. me, and that's why I remember it. Okay, so. And I think I needed to say, because at one point we had to do our nationalities, and I feel like American came out as like um, Ricatun or something. Not quite. Uh, so you would be, it'd be, you know, Ente Amerikia, yeah? There we go. Yeah. And, you know, American. There we go. See, I remembered like bits and pieces. Like that's, I can, I can butcher how to say I'm an American in Arabic and that's what I can do in Arabic. And then I can turn to you and say, Wenti. Okay. But <laughs> now you know a little bit more. How do you say where you're from? I don't remember. I just said the word I. <laughs> okay, so now mm. we, we get down to the like- And I'm in California? I don't, I, I don't hear things and remember them. You know this about me. We've talked about this. How did you go to a college? <laughs> I took a lot of notes and then I studied from all the handwritten notes. Man, I just wrote down stuff. Like I did drawings. <laughs> Hand. anyway yes no like you would have to like do it eight times over really slowly and like stress it for me to finally be like oh i can repeat and i know what i'm saying anna anna min min wherever you're from that's earth there you go and i'm in missouri yeah <laughs> there we go oh. okay so are. well let's talk about okay about right. you know the whole fact that arabic was brought up because it's a triconsonantal root language yeah 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 and let's talk about why all right you shouldn't go down the megdevi path okay so and the, how to go down a good path first let's go over the basics of it so for example uh, the the easiest and most uh common uh instantiation of this triconsonantal root system uh or at least the best exemplar is the ktb root in arabic in hebrew it would be ktv uh, so katov, that type of thing, because uh, Hebrew and Arabic are the same in this regard. So uh, the thing is, the uh, the root, uh, the idea of this being a triconsonantal root is that these three consonants will uh, share the same linearity in a bunch of different words that are related to itself. So in other words, you'll see K, T, and B in the same order in all of these different words. Uh, kataba. Uh, with a nice short uh, uh, vowel after it means uh, right. Or it's it's like what you list as the uh, 
the citation form. And by right, and it, he means W-R-I-T-E. Yes, W-R-I-T-E. And in fact, uh, kataba means he wrote in the past tense. If you add a T on the end, katabat, it means she wrote in the past tense. If you wanted to say, uh, I wrote, uh, katabtu, katabtu, uh, I wrote in the past tense. If you want to say, I am writing in the present, aktub, uh, And so suddenly you still have KT and B in order, but you notice the vowel disappeared. So now the K and the T are right next to each other. Aktub, he writes, yaktub, he, uh, uh, I'm sorry, aktub, I write, yaktub, he writes. Um, uh, she writes, uh, you write if you're a woman, right? Obviously. So we still have KT and B in order, but now the K and the T are next to each other. Um, and then the vowels can also change in and out. So we've mostly seen just a short A. Uh, Katib is writer with a long A in there. Uh, Maktab would be um, office. Maktaba would be library. Um, kitab is book. And now we have a short I in there. Kitab. Uh, kutub is books. Two short U's in there. Um, and then let's see. I don't know. What else? Uh, katabu, they wrote. Um, uh, what, so like, what are some other words? Well, like, I, I definitely... Okay get the concept about how like the inflections and derivations yeah. are all built um to the point where you can like have this one root and build a lot of words which for yeah. one thing as a conlanger that feels like a very good path to go down because it's like you just need to pick you know these yeah. three consonants to represent this this concept and you need to figure out the patterns and you get to plug and play. And that's exciting. You suddenly have like all these extra words that you didn't have before. Similar to noun classes. It is similar to noun classes. Evolutionary wise, I understand where noun classes come from. Yeah. Evolutionary wise, this seems so foreign for me to wrap my head around about like, well, what was the more ancient word? What, like what, how, how? Cause you obviously mm. didn't just have at some point like speakers being like, wow. Is the is you know this this concept without any you know just the KTB by itself and like how yeah. it ended up getting separated like that and and how as a conlinger you can approach that yeah like that to me is is really outside of just being like okay I'm gonna just create the system and have it created but like when you want it rooted in like where did all of these patterns come from where yeah. So um, the first thing is that um, once uh, conlangers learn about this, they tend to get very excited by it and want to jump into it and create it. And that was what I did. This has apparently become a thing now, but I was the first one to do it. And I want to make that damn clear. There are so many people who say, oh, yeah, they're doing the whole triconsonal root thing. Nobody did it before me. I was the very first. Damn it. Though I know that what's his face wrote about it in theory. That was, I think, the only previous mm -hmm. instance was Rick Morneau wrote about it in theory uh, as a part of his uh, Conlang essays. He was like, here is in theory how you might do an Arabic style morphology language if you were creating an auxiliary language, which is why he did it. I was the first person ever to do it for a non-auxiliary language. Sure. And I won't hear anything else to the contrary unless there's documented proof it wasn't a thing before I did it. I didn't even know what a conlang was before I did it. I just did it. I was just like, I had just learned Arabic. I thought it was really cool. 
I just learned that Esperanto was a thing and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if I created my own language and then I could do this. So Go on. that was, I yeah. wanted to make first, that clear. First, sure. Instead of all these people being like, oh yeah, you did the usual thing. I did the only thing. I was the first one <clears throat> in grades, I swear. Moving you know, on. I don't get nearly the respect I should <laughs> in the Conlang community. This is true. We have very different approaches to, to at least amount of respect. At least respected. You, at least you respect me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving yeah. forward. All right. So anyway, um, yes, moving forward. Uh, so what I did uh, with Meg Davies, I think the first thing that occurs to you, if you look at Arabic and understand the system, um, because the idea is you get the end point, right? Uh, if you start to study the Arabic language, right, right now, you're seeing the end point of thousands of years of evolution. Um, you're seeing the, bio, uh, the, the, the product of, you know, sound change and reanalysis and reanalysis. Uh, and, and people kind of figuring out their own systems for it and figuring out the best way to teach it, because of course their end goal is for you to learn it, right? It's, it's not to figure out how it was built. It's, it's for you to figure out how to use it so that you can actually speak the language, right? And that's a very different thing. Uh, and so consequently, if you try to reverse that process, you end up with something like Davy, where you say, all right, so now we're starting uh, a brand new language. And so let's just choose concepts that are mostly broad. Um, that was also another failure in Meg Davy, but not something we'll focus on for this because it's not relevant, but concepts that are mostly broad. And then um, three consonants that are different. Um, and then let's just start making roots. Um, and, and you can just kind of go from there. You can go with like, okay, um, water, uh, land, egg, like cooking, whatever. Uh, and then you start coming up with patterns and say, okay, if we have a consonant number one, so consonant one, two, and three, right? And so we'll have one, the vowel E, two, the vowel E, and then uh, three. And that's going to be a place where the concept happens, right? So if you had uh, manak for egg, then minek would be a hatchery. Um, if you had like kabal for cook, then kibel would be a kitchen or a place where, where things are cooked and so on. And you just go down the line and you do all of this, uh, uh, as many as you want. You say, okay, this pattern is going to be associated with an agent. This pattern is going to be associated with a person who is most likely a patient. This is a place where the thing happens. This is a basic noun. This is, uh, this is a... Um, what do you call it, a participle. Here are all of the verb conjugations. Um, and you just do the whole thing out uh, and you end up with Meg Davy. And the result is, uh, is kind of like the Esperantified version of what a triconsonantal root language is. Um, and then if you go on with this idea, you can start branching off to things that are not only um, unnatural, but almost impossible. Uh, so for example, like I started coming up with ideas in Meg Davy for compounds that would actually like switch the consonants from like one root and mix them up with another root and like move them around and then put, put a bunch of vowels in there. 
chaos. Yeah. And then like just all, all these different type of things, you know, ones where you could actually move the consonants out of their order. Oh, but it's like, you knew you would have to know, like with the leading vowel that are like, oh, this is one where you flip consonant three and consonant one. Like, why? yeah, see, this is just something that, that can't, that doesn't happen in natural languages uh, and probably couldn't because it'd be very difficult to figure out because we yeah. don't actually think of it at that level. Right. Like, uh, even though we can schematize it that way, it's not like in your brain, you're just thinking, okay, I have this pattern and I'm just mapping consonants one, two, and three in there. And I always have them tagged with a variable and I always know what they are and I can mix them up. Mm. Like, we don't do that. We don't do that. And so if you're making the language that way, it doesn't make sense and you right. can't really learn it and use it. No, it doesn't make sense. Sorry. I've been feeling like you've been wanting to interject. So I wanted to give you a spot. Oh, no, no? that was okay. That was just yeah. really awful. Yeah, no, yeah. And so that's, and that was the result. Speaking of respect that you deserve. Yeah. I respect your bad decisions. Thank you. All right. So when it comes to uh, building one of these things the right way, there's a number of things to know. And I think also a number of interesting observations that can be made. You know, I, um, I did a, a similar thing uh, with um, the, what do you call it? Um, the um it's another popular one uh tagalog oh yeah the the philippine type the austronesian alignment uh also called the the trigger system um there are many interesting observations that you can make if you just look at the system and just say all right let's let's see what we can find about these so number one if you're looking at just arabic for example You'll, you'll notice that there are a lot of triconsonantal roots. There are some biconsonantal roots. And then there's like a handful of tetraconsonantal roots, um, but all of them have explanations. So that's the first thing. They all have explanations. There, uh, there's a reason that three seems to be the upper limit, because in theory, if you have a triconsonantal root system, why not a tetraconsonantal, a quinquaconsonantal, a sextoconsonantal, and so on? Um, there appears to be an upper limit on that type of thing, at least for human processing. If you're not interested in doing a natural language, you could do things like this, but, um, or a trivocalic root. Yeah. that was the other thing that was, uh, if you look at Pete Bleakley's, Pete Bleakley's, uh, Ileana, that one is really interesting where it's like, you don't, you can't actually have any words until you combine the triconsonantal root with a trivocalic root. And then you get um, something. And it's not intended to be a natural language. It's a very interesting experiment. Um, he also did a talk on it at LCC6, if anybody ever finally put those videos together. So, well, that was the one in England, right? It was one of the ones in England, mm. the first one in England, yeah. Um, okay, so um, some of the observations you can make about Arabic are uh, you will often see roots where the second two consonants are the same. You will never see any roots where the first two consonants are the same, hmm. unless they're like onomatopoeic. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, another thing is that um, there are restrictions on the types of consonants you see coming next to one another. And it's really hard. You have to just put that broadly, right? because it's really hard to quantify, but it's also interesting. There's, there are restrictions, especially on the first two consonants, as opposed to the second two. 
um, which is interesting because the uh, second two will actually come into contact a lot more than the first two, but you know, um, that's actually also something else to note. The second two consonants will come into contact a lot more than the first two will. There are roots where they will, but more often than not, it is the second two that will come into contact, right? Or have I got that wrong? Or is it backwards? I feel, feel like, like it's backwards. Because didn't you say like octub? Yeah, yeah, octub. Yeah, right. For, yeah, I'm sorry. I think it was the first two that come into contact. Yeah, never mind. Oh, there's a bird out there. I've been watching it. It's, oh. it's <laughs> beautiful, like it's penguin coloring. Yeah. But it's a little songbird. I like it when it's it does its cute. little hops. Very cute. Yeah. But okay. So, um, yeah. So, the first two consonants are more likely yeah. to touch um, than the final two. Yeah. It's also interesting to look at the irregular, the very irregular ones, uh, because the irregular ones will always have as one of their consonants um a semi-vowel so uh or a glottal stop it'll mm -hmm. be one of those uh and so like uh they're the ones where you learn where it's like uh read means i want and then in the past tense it's the other uh he wanted and it's like well what's this crazy vowel change and it's like well it has to do with the semi-vowel being there which gives you some indication of what happened in the past. So there are lots of things like this. So then keeping that in mind, all right? Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that it's not just you pick three consonants out of a hat. So then it's like, okay, well, what, what actually happened? Um, the theory is this, that originally there were just words um, and these words just had two consonants. So what you had was like, V, uh, VC or CBC, mostly CBC, where the first one was, uh, was a, you know, glottal stop or something like that. Uh, and then you had a series of suffixal modifiers that eventually got boiled down to a single consonant. Um, in addition, you had a whole ton of sound changes, a whole mess of them. Like, uh, like, you know, there were some easy ones where that didn't affect anything like uh, proto-P in Arabic became F and it just did that everywhere and it didn't really affect anything. And then it was just like, okay, whatever. Um, but then there were a lot of other sound changes that affected the semi-vowels, that affected the glottal stop and that affected um, uh, fricatives and the, uh, the, the, the liquids. And these in turn affected the vowels around them. So, um, for example, let's say that you have, let's say that let's start out with a, a, a toy root, um, uh, something different. Um, how about um, uh, sak, S-A-K, sak. All right, start out with sak, it means something, all right? Uh, something basic. How about rock? Sak means rock? Yeah, sak means rock, that's good. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing if there is a way that we could like, well, I mean, like I could just pull up a document. Yeah. Um, but cause I thought that might be kind of fun to like map out what we're doing. Um, I guess we can just do a pages document or, that, or pull up a note. Then we'll both have it and it'll be easy. Yeah. Because we don't share pages documents. Mm, 
can I separate like when I make this note? So that way, it because I want to be able to share the screen and not have. What do you mean? I don't want everyone to see all my notes. Oh, you want to share the screen? Yes. yes. Oh I, my goodness. I wanted to be able to show them. So that way, as you're talking. Do through... a pages document then. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I totally didn't understand. Goodness gracious. Okay. And we're going to make this like size 48 font. Yeah. All right. Suck. Okay. Just one second. Share the screen. Suck. Okay. So it means rock. We're going to start off with rock. All right. And then let's say that um, you have uh, another like uh, some word or idea that means like small, let's mm -hmm. say, and you have um, noun modifier order, which you do in Arabic, by the way, because this is a head initial language. Mm -hmm. So let's say it was something associated with an N, right? So let's say that you have this like sucking that. Yeah, it means pebble or like small rock, pebble, whatever, right? Okay. Now let's say that you have a um, a pluralization strategy. Okay. And this pluralization strategy, let's say it's derived from some something means like uh, pile. Um, how do you say blank of blank in Arabic? Rajal um, Jamia. Uh, so it's uh, after it. Um, and so um, let's say that uh, this pile word was like, I don't know, um, started with an H, right? And it's going to be after, like? Yeah, mm -mm. Start with rock. Start with rock. And then let's say that uh, you have some sort of a genitive or something in there. So like put a U in between the two of them. Oh, like here? Yep. And then, um, and then let's say that there was uh, some other vowel associated with this. And so there's just a, another vowel in there. It doesn't matter what it is. Just throw any vowel in there. Like throw an here? A in there, sure. Yeah, all right. And then now let's uh, do like uh, a devil's uh, space. Um, and let's say that at some point in time, you can lose unstressed short vowels. Okay. And that uh, stress goes to uh, a long vowel, uh, and that word final consonants are extra metrical. All right. Suck, sucking. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, and then sakwa becomes sak, sakin. Like that. Uh, yep. And then the next one mm -hmm. becomes squa. All right. Okay. Because you can actually do this. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we kind of have that in um, English, right? Have to make this smaller than 48. Yeah. It's like, 36. I'm going to make it so everyone can see. Right. <laughs> well done. Do that. Um, so, like, we have button in English. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just want to make sure I understood what you were saying. That's yeah. It. 
And so then uh, next thing that might happen is that we don't like uh, beginning or ending a word with two consonants, mm -hmm. right? And so we need to just throw in some sort of epithetic vowel. And so then we get, um, uh, we get, you know, sakna. So now we have Sakna, Sakna, and Asqua. Okay. Now, one thing that we haven't done so far, we haven't done the plural of pebble, have we? Mm -hmm. So let's go back and take a look at, at pebble. Now, here's the big thing. And, and this was relevant for Arabic. What if, what if this derivation, this small derivation happened after the plural, all right? Rather than happening before the plural, okay? Uh, because of course, it, the idea is that it came from an actual adjective anyway. And so it's not like you're gonna pluralize the adjective, right? It's, you're talking about rocks, small rocks, okay? And if you don't have plural agreement at this point, then that small is gonna be coming after the word for rocks. Um, and so then it isn't going to get glommed on. So then you have sakwahin, sakwahin, right? And the same thing, we're going to be squahin. No, no, just squahin. Oh, yes, because all unstressed. Yeah. And then now suddenly the plural is something like, let's just say it just doesn't like you know, HN next to it. And so what's happening is it's just gonna drop the H. And so you have asquan with a long A. There you go. You have sak, sakna, right? So uh, sak is the plural, is the singular of rock. The plural is asqua. Then you have sakna, which is the singular for pebble and asquan is the plural. Suddenly you're getting something that's kind of like, you know, in winking distance of Arabic. Now let's go back up to the top. We're gonna to make this 24. See if we can get it on one. All right, now let's go back up to the top and let's look at some other things that you might do. S is a pretty neutral consonant. Um, however, N is not necessarily a neutral consonant and I is not necessarily a neutral vowel. Mm -hmm. So one method you might go here is say the uh, KI becomes ch, uh, ch I. So you have sak and sachin, right? Mm -hmm. And so suddenly, you know, if you just follow that all the way down, you have sak for rock and sachna, or, or sachin right there. And then sachna. Sachna, right? But take a look at what Sorry, you changed it. Yeah, take a look at what happens here. So squashin, let's say that the H-I becomes a sha. Squashin. Yeah. All right. So that would, would that actually appear? Yes. Okay. All right. And now maybe you don't get rid of that and turn into the long vowel. Maybe you have, you know, uh, a squashna. Yeah. 
guess I should keep what we originally had. Yeah. So these are just options. Uh, other things that you can do, of course, intervocalic voicing, um, that kind of obscures the, uh, you know, the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, um, the, tri the triconsonantal nature of it, but that's part of the point. Um, and uh, let's see, are there any places where you might, uh, oh yeah, and then of course, like you can already see something that has happened here, right? If you have suchna, but then asquashna, right? Um, there's this uh, palatalization thing going on where it's like suddenly it, you have the exact same thing like you had with Arabic, um, like, you know, uh, ya and wa and uh, ein, um, where um, it's like you have to know it's like, all right, if your initial, I'm sorry, if your medial consonant in Arabic is like a glottal stop, it might show up in crazy different forms in different tenses. Uh, and here you have the exact same thing. Now you have this K that's showing up as a cha in the singular. And you have to know that in the plural, it's not gonna end up uh, being that. So um, just to like kind of interrupt you yep. for a minute. Please do. Um, okay, so going back to this example where we have suck eventually becoming suck now. Mm -hmm. um, speakers at that stage could reanalyze that actually the SKN is what makes it rock and that the ah uh, ah uh, in those positions is what makes it diminutive. And so it's like pebble. That's true. So they could at that point reanalyze and apply it, especially if there were a lot of roots that like that had like, you know, S ah uh, whatever, um, because this is going to happen anytime there's the in, because it's going to be lost. Because right. So they could actually reanalyze. And then this shows, from my understanding, this is showing why sometimes those triconsonantal roots aren't so regular, because historically they had some other things going on where the I was totally lost, but you don't know that until you go all the way back to a full proto form where it's not it's not actually triconsonantal. It just happens yeah. to have consonants. And in fact, here we have one, two, three, four consonants. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then um, a couple of other notes. So like uh, Hebrew has regular metathesis um, in predictable places. So that's something that makes it even a little muddier. So for example, we have this word, you know, sakna, they might've decided, well, we don't like you know, a stop followed by a nasal like that. So we're going to change it to sanka. Mm, yeah. And so things like that could happen. Um, but uh, I wanted to start with this uh, example of a diminutive because I think it's very easy to understand. Uh, if you go into the history of, of Arabic, if you go back to Afroasiatic, a lot of these posited um, root modifications, because there were like 20 of them, uh, are very broad and general. So like you, you have things that are described as like extendive one, extendive two. Um, and it's like, if you start to look at all of the roots of Arabic that have that as a third consonant, it becomes very difficult to pin down a specific meaning for that because it just got so broad because what happened is maybe it started off with a specific meaning kind of like this here but then let's say maybe somebody thought like well you know diminutive of this is that and, and people accepted it but then there was another 
analysis mm -hmm. that said uh, that said, okay, like you know, these four are obviously diminutive, and like these three are obviously diminutive, and then there's this special one. But I see this other pattern that has this special one as the core member, and then maybe like one from here and two from here. And I have this other idea, and I'm going to make other words based on that that makes sense to me. And if speakers accept them, suddenly they're a part of the group. And pretty soon these things, these like third consonants start to become so semantically bleached that you can't even really identify a single meaning in any, uh, with any of them. They're just kind of like a core concept that is just becomes a part of the language now. Uh, and because there were so many of them, it was just the way you, you did things. It wasn't just like, here's this one pattern we have with this one suffix. Mm -hmm. There was like 20 some of them. And so it was just like a thing, you know? Yeah. Go on. No. Uh, I yes. should follow up questions. Go ahead. One is, of course, like anytime you say triconsonantal root, I'm thinking, like you've mentioned, Arabic, um, mm -hmm. Hebrew, I'm thinking Semitic languages specifically. But yeah, there's another. Are there families beyond that that people can look to for inspiration in terms of seeing how other language families have developed? Yes, uh, and there's one in the Northwest of America. And I don't remember the name of it. It would have been great for me to look this up because of course we've been thinking about this podcast topic for a long time now. It would have been great to look it up. But yeah, there is one and you actually see the exact same type of thing. Um, uh, I've, I recall seeing a verbal paradigm with it. This was at a, this was at, uh, I think it was this BLS uh, in 2003 where I saw the, um, the slides for this. Um, but uh, it's really cool. And actually uh, that is gonna remind me, that reminds me of something else to add to this which is um, the, um, there's a better word for this, uh, but essentially rhythm. Um, but there are, uh, there are things that can happen in languages because you're trying to match a syllable count or you're trying to match a rhythm or you're trying to match a stress pattern. Mm. Uh, and you'll actually see that in Arabic. Uh, there's an entire verb set where the, the point is you um, geminate the middle consonant because essentially you're looking for the pattern bum bum dun dun right so um that's another type of thing that could happen where because you're trying to hit a rhythm that is motivation for cutting certain vowels which again we're going to put these things together but then it's like if the vowels don't play well together then you have to do other things to fix it sorry if the consonants don't play well together you have to do things to fix it like throwing in vowels at the end but the point was like you know if you think that all like your nouns should be bum, 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 right but you have a fixed stress pattern then you have to do something to get it into that pattern mm -hmm. um turkish also has a, a suffix like this where the suffix is either a single consonant or an entire uh syllable depending on how many whether there's an odd or even number of syllables in the word um, and we kind of have something like this in English too, with a certain um, inflectional pattern that we have when we are incredulous or mocking something, um, which is the, mm, mm, that one. Um, and we either lengthen a vowel um, 
if uh, lengthen a vowel and, and like move the tone over if there isn't enough room. So it's like, you know, it, depending on where the stress is. So Jesse, it's like, you mean Jesse, but let's say that the stress shifted over one alone. Mm -hmm. Suddenly there's an entire, uh, like, you know, the, the vowel has to be lengthened and the entire like uh, up down thing has to be moved over because uh, whereas it didn't for, for Jesse, for, for Jesse is just high, low for alone. It's low, high, low with the high, low going over to the alone part. And then if there's more consonants, you can do it, you know, Tallahassee. <laughs> um, but you see like the same kind of thing. Triconsonantal. Yeah. Triconsonantal. And notice where the, the lows and highs were for that mechanical, right? Um, so it's that same type of thing. And you can see that with uh, triconsonantal root systems when it comes to like chopping off vowels in order to fit a kind of phonetic or phonological or intonational pattern. Uh, and in fact, the thing that reminded me of that was this other language from the Northwest of America. Let's see if Google um, It has the same thing where you see geminates happening in order to kind of fit an intonational pattern. Let's see. See if you could just pull up the Semitic root Wikipedia and see if it has uh, an example. Um, Okay, so do you want to keep talking though while I'm looking this up? Because uh, it's see. probably not so interesting. Oh man, do they not have it here? I don't see it. Right Unbelievable. Um, mm. Try this one, Quora. Maybe somebody Northwest West of Hopton? Hopton? in Washington and Oregon. It could be that one. Let, Let me. Um, uh, okay, Yokutian, an extinct family in Southern California, have bilateral roots and symphatic morphology. But that's not the one I've seen. One Yawelmani Yawelmani has triconsonantal roots. Um. um I I didn't think it was Yomani Yokuts. Um I I could have sworn it was something else. And I don't think I'd have to sign in for this. Hold on a but sec. Let me it, see who the authors are. Sharon okay, Argus and Virginia Buford. Um That's all I can get into. Oh, oh, and JSTOR has been acting real weird. You got to use your JSTOR stuff while you can. It hasn't even been working with the library. All right. Um, I've been struggling with that. Well, the thing that I remembered that was most memorable for me was this root. Uh, it was a verbal system and it was like the root was T, Angma, something else, and was seeing this Angma geminate in certain parts of the paradigm, um, which made me think of it. But I could have sworn that Yaomani Yokuts was not one, because otherwise I would have remembered that. We, we looked at it so much because they were studying that there. Anyway. Um, well, okay, so. Yeah. 
as I'm trying to like wrap my head around this, because one, it just seems like, wow, this is very complicated to get such a language. Um, and I will say, I will double down on, on what I just read on that core response where it's like, yeah, it can happen, you know? Yeah, sure. They, they can happen outside of Semitic languages. Absolutely. Um, but they're also very rare. Um, and so I think that's something too, is that, you know, um, I think one reason why conlingers are drawn to such a system beyond just the, the fact that, Ooh, if I have my template, I can like, you know, do the plug method. Um, but I think it's also exciting anytime you encounter a linguistic feature that's rare because that makes it fun to play with. Right. Um, so I think there are two different ways that if you're a conlanger and you want to create one of these languages, there are more than two, but I'm just going to kind of really broadly lump them into two ways that you could approach making such a language and you can agree or disagree at will mm. agree. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think one way is to just approach it and say, I'm, I'm not even for the, the start, I'm not even going to try to make it based in any sort of, you know, protoform or evolutionary form. I just want to see what it's like to create a system that on the surface has a template where you plug in these consonants. And it, again, I mean, nothing wrong with that. It's your language. You can have fun with it. You can see like, especially, I think this would be a fun exercise for anybody wanting to really force their brains into thinking about semantic connections in bigger ways in terms of like, how broadly can you define these concepts for like this template equals X and like, you know, how, how much fun can you have with, with roots that are concrete nouns versus abstract nouns versus, you know, verbal kind of roots versus like, I think you could end up having a lot of fun just semantically playing with the language to see like how you could get this vocabulary and apply it. Can I add to that without mm -hmm. you forgetting your next thing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it would actually be an ideal way to create an international auxiliary language uh, for this reason. Um, if you look at something like Esperanto or a language that's built in that style, um, there's really uh, not a lot uh, built in for uh, a user to be able to figure out what a new word means. Um, you kind of just stuck with like, well, if I don't know that root, then whatever, like I can tell that there are some suffixes on here I recognize, but that's really uh, the bulk of it. And not only that, there are a lot of suffixes. Okay. If on the other hand, you are building an, I, uh, an international auxiliary language from the top down and not going to borrow in a bunch of vocabulary and you want to do it from the start, it's um, you're essentially giving giving users a shot to expand the vocabulary on their own and also for hearers to be able to figure it out because it's like okay i don't i don't know i've never heard the word miken before however i do know the word makna and i do know the the verb you know uh you know uh uh mukon and based on that and knowing the pattern, I can guess what this person is trying to say. Um, and it's, it's, I think it would be a lot easier for people if, they, if there was a small set of these, a mm -hmm. smaller set of these, all right, a really focused set to be able to learn them, get used to them, and uh, create their own words and figure out what other words people are saying. I think it'd be a lot easier than an Esperanto type model. 
So that's, I think, one way to approach it. Um, because I, the other major way is, of course, saying, no, I'm going to do a do it from the beginning and you're going to develop and evolve the system over time. But I think what's going to be difficult is like, you're going to need to have a thorough grasp on the phonological patterns you're going to want a thorough grasp on what phonological changes can end up influencing others down the road. And I don't think you can actually set out like you can't like, to me, like my brain is not wrapping around like, well, how, at what point do I actually have a triconsonantal root system in this language? At what point can I start to abstract the templates out without like me having contrived them? At what point, you know, like as a conlinger trying to approach all these decisions, um, I think it's much more complex and dirty. <laughs> it's like the, the process is messy. Um, and so I think giving just like standard advice for like, this is how you do it is super difficult. Um, doable, but like, you're just going to have to put, I think a lot more time in building up the foundation for what changes are going to happen across the board in your language. Um, whereas like a lot of times when you start a language, you can have a hand handful of, you know, sound changes at the set at the outset and then be like, as you create more inflections and derivations, be like, eh, I'm gonna add this in because this is a new thing that I've come across and I need to go back and add it in. I feel like in a system like this, if you go back to add it in later, chaos could ensue. <laughs> um, you know, it's not like a, a late addition of the, oh, 31st sound change we're gonna have in this language just because we suddenly have one root where these two things come together. Um, I feel like in this, it has to be like, you've got to be really committed to the sound patterns and the intonational patterns, the stress patterns that you're really looking for in the language and, and have strategies ready to go for that even before you start generating a lot of roots. Something that might help if you're going this route, and I think a good way to think of this is that you should separate your language, you know, as you're going from proto-language to modern into different eras, and give those uh, speakers different mindsets. So mm. it's like, um, you know, the your first era is like, all right, whatever, we're, we're setting up the building blocks, right? The really basic stuff. And then the next thing is you say like, these speakers, um, these speakers hate vowels. And so uh, if it's not stressed and it's not long, they wanna get rid of it. And they will throw a bunch of consonants together uh, if it means they don't have to say any of these little vowels, they're done with them. Next era, say these speakers hate consonant clusters. Um, they never ever want more than two consonants in a row in a syllable. And so then you do stuff because of that. Like you can imagine a type of Spanish that might work this way. Um, so like uh, in Spanish, there's a verb like, you know, cenar, which means to, to like cook. Um, and, you know, seno, me, I cook, uh, senas means uh, like, you know, uh, uh, you cook and so on. Um, and imagine though, like, you know, and cena means dinner, right? Right. And so imagine though, you have like uh, cena, which is dinner. Cenar uh, is a verb, it means to, to, uh, to cook, right? Um, but let's say that like in this version of the language, they didn't like um, 
having to pronounce a vowel between two consonants when it wasn't stress. And this was before the C to K change because it starts with a C. And so at one point in time, you had, you know, uh, uh, Kenna, right? Uh, he, uh, or it's dinner, right? And Gnar, which means uh, to cook. Then you have the sound change happen. Kenna becomes Sena. Then you have the other Spanish sound change, which is like, we don't want two consonants at the beginning of the words, so we throw an E. And so suddenly you have Sena is dinner and Eknar is the verb that means to cook. There you go. Like do stuff like that, but like try to keep it nice and ordered and like write it down. And by the way, when I say these things, I never do them. Oh, we just, know, we know. I'm just telling you what you should do. Don't follow the way I do it. Like that, like this is the way you do it best, even though I've never done it. That way. But it's like, just say like, all right, here's era one. Here are the words from era one. Here's era two. Here's the mindset of the speakers of era two. Here are the words from era two and era three and so on and so forth. And just go right on down the line like that and build something up methodically, systematically. And then the end result should be beautiful. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so keep track of your work. Um, okay, so all that is to say, like, at some point we need to just like try to show how you could do this. Oh, like, where we actually right have to do the hard part. Yeah. All right. Um, so maybe maybe there will be a part two coming of this this yeah. exploration um, coming up at some language. point. <laughs> <laughs> um well let's see what next season is before we say that yeah um all right so uh we do need to sign off though yep it is the end um we hope that it has enlightened you somewhat or given you ideas or at least um helped you understand uh some of the the fun features of these kinds of languages um we hope yep <laughs> and if nothing else we hope you had fun <laughs> all right so everyone let me stop sharing so that way I can find my menu again. Um, hope you have a, a great month. Uh, happy April and stay grammar. Bye, everybody. Bye.